Hey, I'm Will Levis. He's Eric Claville. And you're tuning into Levis and Claville. We give it to you straight the way it is from a black male's perspective. So let's get right to it. Today's show, Justice for George Floyd, Part 4. Um, April 20th, 2021. After two days, 10 hours of deliberation by 12 jurors, the verdict against former police officer Derek Chauvin was read and it was guilty on all charges. The world took a collective deep breath and exhaled. And finally, uh, justice was served. Or has it really finally been? Yeah. Um, I know, Eric, for me, you know, I was stunned. Um, not shocked, but a little bit stunned, but then also relieved because uh, I actually thought that he would get the lesser of the charges. I thought that the, he wasn't going to get off, but that he would get the lesser of the charges. And a lot of this, is, of course, this optimism comes from, you know, our experience of dealing with these kinds of cases yeah. all of our lives. I mean, we talked about it on this show. Absolutely. Talking about but Rodney King, but Rodney King. So to see the jury come back with a guilty on all counts and that he did, in fact, murder Mr. George Floyd, I mean, yeah. it was, as we say, I think everybody collectively did exhale. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, we, we, we talked about it on the last episode, you know, leading up to this uh, deliberation. We talked about uh, remembering George, Flo uh, remembering Rodney King, remembering Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Philando Castillo, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, but, you know, the, the feelings that I had when I heard guilty on all charges um, it wasn't celebration. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, it was really mixed emotions. Right. Uh, I, I, I was really full. My wife and I watched it together. I was full. Um, you know, my wife cried. I, I, I had my eyes were watering myself mm -hmm. um, because I was thinking about it. I was, I was saying to myself that, you know, he's guilty, but he's still alive. Right. right? He's guilty. George Floyd's dead, right? Right. He's guilty. All these other witnesses, all these people that were involved, especially, I think about that little girl, you know, that little eight, nine, ten-year-old little girl that that witnessed a man being murdered. That's going to stick with her the rest of her life. Um, we talk about the teenager who had the courage to film it. Right. I mean, to stay there. And if she had not, if she had not filmed it, when you look at that incident report, the first report about the case, <laughs> if she had not filmed it, God knows. Hey, hey, Will, and we'll talk about that, you know, a little bit later in the next episode, how, you know, the DOJ now is going to investigate because, like, like you said, it came out in the trial. If you look at that very first incident report, you know, you would think nothing happened, right? right? So the, the cover-up. Uh, but, you know, back to the trial itself in uh, the verdict, you know, I, it's uh, it's still it's still kind of hard to talk about. It. You know, it's still kind of hard to wrap your mind around. You know that, you know, it's the build up to all of this. It's right. the build up to, you know, of course, George Floyd galvanized the murder of George, which we now know is the murder of George Floyd. Now, right. former officer and now convicted felon Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd. Um, you know, it galvanized the world, the world over. Uh, the issue of Black Lives Matter, the world over the issue of excessive force, the world over the issue that the system, systematic racism, the right. world around the issues of just caring, 
you know, of humanity of black and brown people, Will. You know, and, um, you know, his his life wasn't in vain, right? You know, but the but, but you'll hate for someone to have to go through this, um, you know, for, for quote-unquote people to think that their lives meant something. But we know his life meant something to tons, millions of people. Certainly meant a lot to his family, you know, and that's Absolutely. what I was thinking about. As you talked about the, you know, the little girl and all the people who were traumatized, you know, I was thinking about my spur, my first experience of being traumatized with police brutality happened to me as a kid in elementary school when mm. uh, Randolph Evans, uh, 1976, mm. 15 year old kid, growing up in my neighborhood, na- neighboring neighborhood, East New York, Brownsville, in Brooklyn. And he was shot point blank by a police officer who came on the scene. He's on the corner with his friends comes on the scene, the police officer has a conversation with them and then pulls out his revolver and just shoots him in the head, point blank. And that officer, after a year, the case, he gets off on um, a temporary insanity. And then after another year or so in asylum or whatever, he's out and he's able to continue with his life. It was a major, major case in New York at that time you know, like the the cases that we see today. And he got off on uh, temporary insanity, was able to go on with his life. And those of us, as little kids, were exposed to that. You know, it traumatized us, you know, long-term, not to mention those who were actually there and were present, not to mention his family, his mother, and so forth. And so one of the things that happened is they established a scholarship fund, Randy Evans Scholarship fund still exists now. Many have gotten in. And one of my brothers was actually the first one. Actually, Thomas Lavise, who was on the show with us, was was one of the first recipients Amazing. of that fund. And so I was found myself thinking about that and thinking about how you see the list of names. And Randy oftentimes is not even on the list of names of people yeah. who have been brutalized by police. But you, but it's like that trauma. Yeah. How and how it has even impacted me and shaped me here now as an adult in terms of how I've have viewed police over the years and what I've talked and told my sons, you know, and daughter over the years about how to interact with police. So I just think about when you mention the trauma, I think about uh, Mr. Floyd's family and how strong they were. And I just, and uh, in, in giving my condolences, I also just celebrate them and how strong that they were able to endure this and represent yeah. him and represent other families that have gone through this trauma. If you watch them having to deal with the media and watch them having to speak out and how they carry themselves, yeah. I mean, it's just very, um, you know, phenomenal carrying yourself through the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you mentioned the trauma and going back to, Brother Evans, the one that you witnessed, you know, being murdered. Mm-hmm. You know, you still well, I didn't witness. I, I, I wasn't there, but it was, you know, as a child, it, that was going on in the neighborhood. And so I, you know, I didn't right. personally witness it, but I was absolutely affected by it. Yeah. I mean, but think about it. I mean, you still remember it to this day. That's right. So just, just imagine the people that saw it. Right. Um, you know, we, we go back to, you know, the humanization of George Floyd as well. How, you know, they humanize him as, a human being going through life, going through struggles. 
mm-hmm. you know, because the defense tried to use his drug uh, drug addiction, saying that his drugs he caused his own death. Right. He caused, yeah. <laughs> you know how how could he cause his own death? You know, you know, I, I, I say to anybody, I don't care if you're The Rock or the Schwarzenegger, whoever. Mm-hmm. But somebody, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, you know, somebody put their their knee on your neck for nine and a half minutes, you will meet the same fate as well because you cut off oxygen flow to the brain right. and the organs, man. And and you know, just watch it. I play back. I play back. Will you know him calling out to his mother? Him saying, "Please, please, I can't breathe." To a point where he was saying, "Please, I can't breathe. I'll cooperate. Whatever you need, just let me up." To the point he started. He knew he was going to die. Right. He said, this is it. He started calling his mother. His bodily fluids started to release. And when your fluids start to release, you know, involuntarily, you know that your body's going through uh, a type of shock, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even, even we would go back and watch the tape and listen to the EMTs that came on the scene. Even after the EMTs came on the scene and felt his pulse asking, hey, let's let him up. He still stayed on his neck. Right. E- even after he was dead, the EMTs still, they were like, okay, time to let up. They actually had to kind of pat the, <laughs> Derek on the shoulder, on the shoulder and say, hey, we need to start, you know, some type of life-saving measures. And they just basically threw him like a, you know, a piece of beef, you know, onto the gurney and started, you know, um, in vain. It was in vain. Uh life-saving measures inside the ambulance. Right, they, right. they knew he was dead on the scene. But again, I go back to the look on now convicted felon Derek Chauvin's face. I go back to how cavalier he was, how arrogant and cocky he was. Right. No no uh, concern for humanity at all. Just just at uh, all. cold. And to the end, even, uh, you know, he tried to help, try to keep that face in the end, and he's, as he was let out of the courtroom, but we, we saw some changes later, but go, but go ahead. Yeah, the changes in the mugshot. <laughs> his eyes red, you saw it, you know, puffy. You know, reality, he, the sign of reality setting in. Yeah. Let me tell you, let me tell you, when, when, when that door slams behind you, mm. and it's just you and those four walls, mm. reality sets in. And he's facing 40 years now of, you know, that type of uh, confinement. You know, right now he's in solitary confinement. They say for his own safety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, really his his own safety. So they're protecting him now. As a matter of fact, you know, part of the investigation, I hope, by the DOJ, is with the uh, corrections department, where uh, the warden at that time pulled all black uh, corrections officers from actually guarding him, believing that African-American officers are going to, you know, they were going to take revenge. You know, so again, we talk about trust in police, but do police have trust in us, right? Do police, you know, or, and we'll talk about this in our next episode when we look at solutions, you know, do African or African-Americans seen as untrustworthy by police systems, or is this the police just another part of the systematic racism? Yeah. Um, well, one of the things I'm thinking about as a jury, you know, as you were mentioning the things that actually happened and the things that they actually saw as the evidence, um, I have a lot of, we haven't been able to hear from the jury, I'm sure at some point mm-hmm. we'll hear what they were actually thinking. But, you know, you got to give it to the jury because of the evidence and the perspective on the evidence that they were yeah. able to see. People need to realize it's not the same as what we were seeing on television 
Um, and they, they had to see a lot of that stuff up close. And, yeah. and that gives you a different perspective. And they have very clear rules from the judge and how they had to go about judging this case. So a lot of the people who would say, you know, the video speaks for itself. He's guilty. That's it. In these kinds of cases, it doesn't just work that way. You know, there are different videos, different angles, different information that you're getting from different people who are there. And all of that is what becomes the story by which you make your judgment on. And then you got the prosecution who is painting a certain picture. You got the defense that's trying to poke holes in that. And so it's really incumbent on a jury to be able to wade through all those things. And and one of the things that I was concerned about and why I thought that they would just get them on the lesser charges is that I had forgotten that the jury actually wasn't sequestered throughout. I mean, they were able, you, you want them to be on their honor to not read the news or the paper yeah. or talk with the people and the family, but they weren't isolated like some other juries have been in the past. And yeah. I think that the experience of seeing Rodney King or the experience of seeing the uprising that happened last summer, 2020, yeah. unlike maybe some other juries that they may have been oblivious to what the possible reaction could be and maybe less sensitized. I think that they were aware of that. And my hope is that being aware of all of the context that's going on actually made them look at the evidence, not out of fear, not out of, well, if we don't, convict him, then there's going to be an uprising. I, I hope that what it did was it actually made them even more attentive and to really look at every possible aspect of this and and make a, um, you know, make a, a vote, a decision that they made, which was, you know, guilty, guilty on all, you know, on all counts. Absolutely. You know, but there was a, the jurors' names are not going to be released. That was, uh, uh, stated uh, in the news on reported uh, on this week, and you know, for I believe not just their own safety, but just for the sake of of keeping the case itself um, above water, so there'll be no speculation. Of course, there's going to be an appeal. You know, it's going to happen. Of course, the white officer, white female officer that shot both of them in his own apartment in Dallas is also appealing the case. Right, uh, her her verdict you know, um, a conviction of 10 years. Uh, and imagine that 10 years for shooting somebody in their own house, you know. Mm-hmm. So, again, that just just blows my mind. Uh, but, you know, with, with this, one juror who was an alternate, and I'll say an alternate juror, who did not have a decision in the case, you know, she was interviewed and stated, you know, what actually, cha- what were, what was the moment that she believed that he was guilty? You know, what witnesses had the most effect on them? And, you know, she she really talked about how the uh, experts, mm-hmm. the, the, the Emmys just really explained at right. what point and showed in the film at what point he died. Right. It's like, this is where he died right here. Six minutes in, right. he's dead. So we got three more and a half, three and a half more minutes Right. That the the that the knee is on the neck. And I think that's that's very symbolic of African Americans, our experience in America. You know, where you know the system not only wants to discriminate, oppress, suppress, and kill, but it wants to humiliate. Right. It wants to demean. And you know, we we look back at 
as Billie Holiday put it, strange fruit hanging from the trees, the lynchings. It wasn't just enough to beat uh, uh, African-American males and females. It wasn't enough to string them up unjustly on trees, uh, hang, let them hang, but to, they went as- Brutalized, brutalized. Brutalized them, cut off genitals, beat them, uh, set them on fire, and still let them hang for days. And all, all then, the while, then take pictures, then take, then take selfies, then take selfies of it. Take selfies that's what I was getting at, Will. Think about it. During that time period, people didn't have, you know, they, they didn't walk around in what we call, you know, business casual, right? You had work clothes, you had your overalls, you know, and you had what's called, and what you and I know is church clothes, right? <laughs> you know, you had, you had church shoes, you had good outfits. And then, but from there, people are putting on their quote unquote good outfits. And they're coming and they're standing and taking a picture. And I see, you know, men and women standing with their children, with their families around right. a dead body hanging that's been decimated, that's been humiliated, that's been degraded. And him staying and now convicted felon Derek Chavin knee on the neck of George Floyd after the, the experts said he had died at this point. To me, that was symbolic of what our experience and all those other horrific events that we've encountered as a people. Well, you know, I, I agree with you on that. I would even add to it that the reaction of some who are still dismissing, still oh my raising doubt, still giving excuses and deflecting regarding uh, the decision that the jury has made is, a, is an example of that. I mean, you and I, we were on Barbara Hamley's radio show, Another View, and we get a, a caller calling in talking about why aren't we talking about the statistics of how African-Americans die at the hands of, of African-Americans more than they die at the hands of police and this kind of thing. You know, as if whites don't die at the hands of other whites Right. Or that they die because more that's that's how crime works. It's more about who is closest to you and and people in the same communities are actually killing each other at higher rates than it is someone else outside of your community that's killing. Absolutely. And again, just 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 dismissing and not really honing in on the point of well, are you saying essentially that it's okay for an officer of the law that we have paid as tax by, as taxpayers to serve and protect us. Is it okay for this person to brutalize another human being, another citizen in this way? Is it okay that this incident started over an alleged counterfeit $20 bill? Yeah. Is it okay that when black people engage with police over such minor situations that it can offenses to death. I mean, if you think about the case of Eric Garner, oh my goodness. allegedly selling loose cigarettes on a corner and that has to lead to death or some of the, the traffic stops that we've had. And so that, that adds to, and I think that's in line with what you're talking about. This, this sense of having to brutalize this sense of having to demean because it's like at, at the root of it is almost like, the reality of certain people just feel that black people are still lesser 
lesser human beings, yeah. lesser deserving of equal justice under the law. And all we're talking about is something that's very fundamental to America, equal justice under the law, freedom, justice for all. That So we're no one saying that it's okay that black people kill other black people. We're not saying it's okay that white people kill other white people. What we're saying is that the kind of interaction that a black person has with a police officer and the expectation of coming out with your life, the same way that a white person interacts with a police officer and doesn't expect to die at that moment, we should expect the same kind of equal justice under the law. And we're not getting it because we've seen examples of white men armed and dangerous, and they're being taken into custody without it. Without Well, as a matter of fact, on, uh, on another view with Barbara Hamm Lee, and you can you can go to Ed LaVise and Claville and, and listen to uh, that show as well. You know, there was a caller that called in and talked about, how, I mentioned Dylan Roof. Dylan Roof, that, that devil, that devil that got into him, that domestic terrorist mm. that went into our church, Mother Emmanuel, AME Church uh, in South Carolina. We accepted into service and sat there through Bible study mm. and at the benediction, pulled out those nine millimeter guns and killed everybody in there. Older, the pastor, the older saints, the children, everybody, mm. and reloaded. And they knew he was doing it. But still, he was taken without incident. Now, they knew he had a gun. They knew he had killed. Right. But still, and they knew he was dangerous. But still, he was taken without incident. And if you go back and take a look at his manifesto, it's the same lies and the systematic racism and the, and the racism that we talk about, you know, that, that, that was there. So, and then when he, they arrested him, he was hungry. And they took him in the drive-thru and got him a Whopper. <laughs> from Burger King. I mean, imagine that. Treat, treat it, imagine treating him like a human being. Treating right? him okay. like a human being. Good, Someone right. who committed atrocities. A heinous yeah. crime. Dehumanize other human, but he still got treated like, like a, human a human being. being. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've never, you know, I, I don't know if that's the standard in, in South Carolina. If you if you say you're hungry and you're arrested, they'll take you through the nearest drive-thru or not. But, you know, that's what happened to him. Right. So the caller said, well, you know, using one example, you know, and, that, you know, using one example of somebody white not being shot and killed or, by, or brutalized by police that killed someone else is, you know, these are lies. We need who, to- who committed a felony offense? I mean, we're not talking about somebody who committed a minor offense. No, murder. Mass murder. Mass murder. And he's being he, he's, he's being given a burden. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, George Floyd allegedly counterfeit bill and. He's dead at six minutes into it, and he's yeah. and the officer is still killing him even more for another three for another right. three minutes. And then and, and think about it. You know, we talk about again alleged counterfeit bill. I mean, who's counterfeiting bills these days? I mean, I don't know if he has access to it. Nothing's come out to say he has. You and I can easily be given in a transaction at a store or somewhere getting change. You know, counterfeit uh, uh, bills. It happens. Nobody looks at their their dollar bills and goes through them and puts a line across it to ensure that every single dollar bill or or, right. or the division of money is counted for not. But to your point, it was a minor offense at best, right. you know. And if he had an opportunity to defend himself in court, if he would have, he may have been able to prove that again. He didn't know somebody gave him twenty dollars. 
Right. It happens all the time. But to your point, Will, I think it's about going back to the verdict itself. It's about validation. It's not about celebration. I think it validates all of the hurt, all of the pain, all of the history that we've just discussed. It validates, you know, the things that we've gone through as, as a people, as Black men, as Black women. And we, we don't want to leave out our Black women, but we know that our Black men are are, have been public enemy number one, right. you know, <laughs> you know, in America since the very beginning, in creating all these um, uh, foolish, and I call them foolish laws and public policy, to try to stop progress and try to stop uh, African American men from being able to compete on a level playing field, level playing field, you know, with everyone else. Because when we are able to compete on a level playing field, history has shown, even modern times. And not only are we able to compete at a high level, but we've been able to, over, you know, do exceedingly and above right. all that could be imagined. It's all about opportunity. It's all about equal opportunity, equal justice under the law. And I mean, I really I, uh, want to give our condolences to other families, such as the family of Duante um, Wright. Who yes. Right in the midst of all of this. He lost his life in another encounter with police and was uh, buried. had the um, the funeral service. Um, Al Sharpton and other civil rights leaders were there, eulogized him. He spoke and the officer was arrested That's, in that case. Yeah, and, and I, I again, I, I look at the families and the level of grief that they're being forced to endure. Again, under a circumstance, it's, it's a, at best a minor offense, and it has to go to that extreme, that it's a loss of life. And here's a young man, had his whole life ahead of him and also has a child. So now this is his, his, his child has to come up, grow up without a father. Again, all because of this kind of interaction over a minor offense. And because we're not looking at people of color, we're not looking at black people as, as being worthy of this equal treatment of justice and, and humanity. And it's, and it's something that, that has been at the root of this nation since its founding. It's something that is an ongoing fight and struggle to really force America to be truly what America says it wants to be, you know, uh, freedom and justice for all. And we have to keep up. We have to keep up that fight. We can't get exhausted. And I've been hearing people talking about how it's exhausting to be black in America. And I, I just, I, I just caution people with using that kind of language yeah. that can get your eye and your your intensity off of where it needs to be. Because being exhausted in Black America, that wasn't something that Harriet Tubman bought into. That wasn't something that uh, Frederick Douglass bought into. That wasn't something that Ida B. Wells, you talked about lynchings that were going on. Ida B. Wells, who bravely as a woman and a journalist, yeah, wrote passionately yeah. about what was going on. She didn't say, you know, it's exhausting being black in America. You mentioned Billie Holiday. Certainly Martin Luther King was just saying that, Malcolm X. So we come from a lineage of people who have been in the struggle, fighting for this liberation, equal justice under the law. And now it's, we're, we're up at bat, you know, Jackie Robinson, Hank Aaron, we're up at bat. And so I just encourage people, we just got to stay diligent and stay focused and not adopt you know, these kinds of postures that uh, ultimately, you know, yeah. undermine the legacy of, our, of those who have come before us and continue to fight, you know, Absolutely. that good fight. John Lewis getting in good trouble. Yeah. 
fight that good fight. So, <laughs> so as we close out, because because you know that's what's up next. It, it's you know what are we going? Where are we going from here? You know, right? Well, yeah, you're exactly right. Again, um, I think as 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 Americans, as Black Americans, and the world, because I think this case is more than just Black America. It's 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 the world. Mm-hmm. We can take a collective deep breath and then we can exhale, but we can't stop here. Uh, the verdict, the guilty verdict of male convicted felon Derek Chauvin is an example of when the system works, when those who are entrusted with the system do bad things, uh, when those those entrusted with the system actually abuse the law against citizens. We all have responsibility. We all have collective and individual responsibility. So it shows that no one can escape or skate through their responsibility. So again, this validates but it's not a time for celebration. It's a time for us to continue working toward solutions. And we'll talk about solutions next. So thank you again for joining us for this very special series on justice for George Floyd. Uh, he was justice served. Uh, again, join us uh, at Lavise and Cleville. Follow us, like, share, comment on Facebook and all other social media. And we thank our producer, Ben Bailey, for his wonderful work that he's doing. And if you like this episode, join us for the next as we talk about solutions. Mm -hmm. Because to us, that's the way it is. See you next time.